Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Okay, and welcome to this week's Shir on Rashi. We are in Perak Yud Zion, in the middle of Pasuk Yud Zion, and this is the section of the Brit Mila and the promise of a child to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, who are now called Abraham and Sarah. And in Pasuk Yud Zion, we were literally halfway through, it read as follows. The Pasuk reads as follows. Abraham Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And Rashi explained, based on the Targum, that this wasn't a laugh of mockery, like Sarah's was going to be in the next parrot, but it was a laugh of joy. Uh, and therefore, and this is important to what's coming next, Abraham wasn't questioning anything. He was very happy about everything. And he said in his heart, And Rashi said this, hey, is not questioning, will a person of 100 years old give birth? But um, sort of, is it not the case that a person of 100 years old will not give birth, will begat the child? And well, im is literally, is usually if Sarah, 90 years old, will give birth. So Rashi says on the im Sarah habatishim shana, haita kadai leiled. Would she be fit or able to give birth? Now, what is Rashi saying? Haita kadai leiled. The question is, what exactly is Abraham's either surprise or wonder or joy? It cannot be that he's questioning that Sarah will give birth because Hashem has said that. And as Rashi is explaining it, Abraham is not questioning what Hashem has said. Abraham is expressing wonder and joy at what Hashem has said. So therefore, Rashi, on this phrase, when Abraham seems to be, according to the simple, reading the words, questioning, will Sarah give birth at 90 years old? Rashi says that's not what it means. It means amongst what Abraham is saying is so wonderful is that Sarah will be able to give birth at 90 years old. So he's thanking Hashem for uh, making Sarah able to give birth. And then Rashi goes off on a little tangent, but he's answering a question which you might have about this whole section. So you notice that Abraham is expressing bewilderment that he is a hundred years old and is able to father a child. And at this point, you might say, what's the big deal about being a hundred years old? Because Rashi says, And even though previous generations would father children at the age of 500 years, actually that wasn't the usual, um, the generations that we learned about earlier, from Adam to Noah, and then from Noah to Abraham, did give, give birth or get children at a later age, but only one of them gave birth, or sorry, I keep saying give birth, fathered a child at the age of 500, and that was Noah himself. But when Noah had children at the age of 500, Rashi explained why he was so much later than other people of those generations, but there was no surprise that Noah, even at the age of 500, was able to father children. 
So he says, you, the reader, might be surprised. You might say, By the time of Avraham, the years had already been reduced. So those times when people father children at 100 or 500, they were long gone. Now people give birth at a much earlier time. Uba tashut koach le'olam. And tashut koach, a weakness of strength, has come to the world. People are weaker. Now why should that mean that people give birth or father children earlier? So someone to explain that Rashi understands one only is able to father children when one has reached one's strength. And that is why a child can't father children, because they are not yet strong enough. They have not reached a level of strength. Now, of course, we know it's all connected with puberty and so on. But, but the idea is that what Rashi is saying is that people would get stronger and stronger until they'd reach maturity and were able to father children. And since there had been tashut koach le'olam, weakness has come to the world, people don't get so strong. So it doesn't take them so long to reach their maximum strength. That's how people want to explain what Rashi is saying, why tashut koach, why a lack of strength should cause people to give birth earlier. So tashut koach has come to the world, so people now uh, reach their maximum strength at a quicker time, and therefore they give their birth, they father children at a quicker time. And then he says, You can go and learn from the generation, from the ten generations that were from Noah till Abraham, because they hurried their offspring. In other words, the age at which they fathered children got less and less as you go through the generations starting with Noah and ending with Abraham. They gave birth, I'm using two books here, um, looking very scholarly. And one book says, B'nei Shishim u'b'nei Shivi'im. And another book says, the Shishim is a mistake, and it should be Shaloshim u'shivi'im. They gave birth, or rather they fathered children, when they were 30 or when they were 70. And why 30 and 70? Because 70 was the age when Terach had his children, Abraham's father. And 30, or rather 29, was the age when Nachor, Abraham's grandfather, had his children. So we're now, the ages of 30 or 70 are typical, even 70 actually, if you look, is at the high edge of the spectrum. Um, the reason that the Girsa, that the correct reading is probably not 60, is because nobody fathered children at 60. If you look through those generations, nobody had their first child at the age of 60, some 70, some 30 but uh, not 60. So we think it's, it's acceptable to say it's not b'nei shishim, it's shushim, b'nei shloshim, or b'nei shivi'im. So why does Rashi give you all this? Because Avraham is making a big, big deal that he can father a child at the age of 100. And we've all learned the Chumash, and we've all seen that people had children at a much later date. So Rashi has to explain why it's a big deal. Otherwise, this whole little section doesn't make any sense of Abraham being so grateful that he is going to have a child at this age. Let's go on. As usual, please feel free to unmute yourselves and ask questions. Benji, you have unmuted yourself. 
Thanks, Rav. Um, just a quick on that. It seems to me, why did Russia need to make this separate um, Rashi about Sarah? If the kind of added, it was the same premises as the one before about Abraham about, or two, one, two before, sorry, about not, um, and Abraham wasn't second guessing Hashem, it was just to express his wonderment and um, thanks, etc. So why, and why couldn't Rashi have added in this separate thing about the hundred years? It's more relevant to Abraham than under this Sarah thing is my, like, being Sarah but I see, I see. So and why, so why, why is this why is this Russia necessary kind of at all in the sense like could we have assumed that the same way that Russia Abraham was um, astonished and one and um, you know filled with wonder and and, and happiness um, about himself it would apply to Sarah as well and then couldn't Russia just add this extra thing about the hundred years into that Abraham Deborah Matchel? Okay, I, I'm not sure I get your first question. Um, your first question: Why is he? Happy about Sarah? Or, or yeah, as in, would, would we would we not assume already based on Rashi's first um, about Abraham about the same way that for Paul Abraham about he was happy because it was at his age? I think is that why he said he was happy? Or I didn't yes. say that actually. Yes, correct. So we wouldn't we assume that if he could father a, a kid at a hundred, wouldn't we apply that to Sarah as well? That um, I'd say, I, I, leave the first question because I think I'm I'm, I'm any further thought. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I think, by the way, perhaps the answer to your question, if I've understood it, is mm -hmm. biologically, it's much more of a miracle for a woman of 90 yeah. to have a child than a man of 100. Mm -hmm. I okay. think that's what's going on here, and I think that's why it's two separate things. Okay. And I hear your question, to which I don't have an answer. Perhaps the bit about the generations should have gone earlier uh, in the first part of the Pasuk, mm. um, where Abraham is celebrating that he's going to have a child and he's 100. Sure. I haven't got a good answer to that. It may be, and this is not so Balabatish, to say that Rashi wants to bring sort of the extraneous material at the end of the Pasuk, rather than in the middle. Uh, that's not a very profound answer, but I think actually it might be correct. Thank you. Okay. Then Abraham says in Pasuk Yudchet, Vayoma Abraham el Olakim lu Yishmael lefanecha. Abraham said to Hashem, now, Lu, I will leave to Rashi to explain. Rashi says on the words, Lu, Yishmael, Yichyeh, Halavai, Shichyeh, Yishmael. If only, or let it be that, uh, that Yishmael should live. So Yishmael is his first son, born to Hagar, and who's sort of knocking around in the background here, and he's actually about to be involved quite soon. And Abraham, hearing this wonderful news that he and Sarah are going to have a child at their advanced years, says, Lu Yishmael lefanecha. So first of all, what does Lu mean? Because Lu can mean whether, uh, if, uh, it can mean uh, maybe in the sense of I don't want it to happen, or it can mean maybe in the sense I do want it to happen, which we translate as halavai. So Rashi wants to clarify which meaning of Lu it is. It's the one saying, if only it could happen and I do want it to happen. So he calls it Halavai. Now, having said that, what does it mean Halavai Yishmael should live? Is Yishmael under any sort of threat? Is there a suggestion Yishmael is not going to live? So Rashi explains by saying, Halavai Shiichyeh Yishmael, Eini Kadai Lekabel Matan Schar Kazeh. I am not fitting to receive such a reward like this. In other words, Rashi is saying, this bit about Ishmael is saying, I've already been rewarded. I'm not worthy to receive all this extra reward. I've already been rewarded by having Ishmael live. 
And if he were to continue to live um, and found a dynasty, and that's going to come in very soon, that would be enough. That would be enough merit that I deserve. So by having already given me the son Yishmael, and if Yishmael carries on living, that's enough merit. That's how Rashi explains Lu Yishmael Yechia. Because what else is Abraham saying about why the need for Yishmael to live? So Rashi takes it, I think, quite far from the way, the simple way of reading it in order for it to make sense. Again, Abraham is not suggesting Yishmael is going to die, and Abraham is not throwing back in Hashem's face what Hashem has given him. That's why he says, And then Rashi says, He should live before you. Now, what Rashi is really saying, and the next words uh, make this clear, is that he reads Abraham's request as two things, or Abraham Talavai as two things. Number one, Yishmael should live, and number two, Yishmael should live before you, which we're going to see very soon means to follow in your ways. And Rashi makes clear that it's two separate things by giving two Dibra Matril uh, and repeating the word Yichyeh. Look what Rashi's done. He's commented on the words Lu Yishmael Yichyeh, full stop, and then he comments on the word Yichyeh Lefanecha, showing it's two separate things, and the word Yichyeh serves both of them. That's why Rashi brings Yichyeh in two respects with two meanings. Sorry, the, yes, so the second one, Yichyeh what does it mean he shall live before you? So Rashi says, Yichyeh he should live in fear of you. He should be a from boy, he should do the right things and be in fear of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kamo, and then he brings a parallel, which we've seen very recently, walk before me. Hashem said to Abraham, walk before me. And we quoted the Unkelos, actually Rashi enhanced what Unkelos said, but we won't go back over that now. But Rashi quoted the Unkelos and said, Palach Kadamai, serve before me. Palach is like Avoda, is serve Hashem. So whereas Hitalech Lafanai meant walk in my service, so Yichiyah Lafanecha means live in your service. Now, why does Rashi have to say this? And I think it's an obvious answer. Because everything in the world is Lifnei Hashem. Everything, it happens in the presence of Hashem. It just takes us to realize that. That's another story. So what is Abraham saying when he says, not only should Yishmael live, but he should live in your presence? Well, everything's in your presence. So Lefanecha doesn't just mean in front of you. Therefore, Rashi has to say it means something more, um, uh, more of an exhortation more of something that Abraham is wishing for, that he should be serving you. And that's what Lefanecha means. And now we go on to Pasuk Yud Tet. Vayome Elokim, and Hashem said, Aval Sarah Ishtacha Yoledet Lacha Ben. Now the word Aval, let's lead, go straight to Rashi. Now what does Aval normally mean? It normally means but. So to say, but Sarah, your wife, will give, your, give, you a, or give, give birth to you to a son. Um, where, where's the but? How does but uh, normally contradict something that's, gone, that's been said before? Uh, you say statement A, but statement B. So statement B modifies or even restricts or even denies statement A. So how can Hashem be saying, 
but Sarah will give birth? The answer is he's not, because that's not what aval means in this case. Rashi says aval loshen amitat devarim. It's an expression of the truth of something. And it means indeed is probably the best English translation or in truth, which is the same thing. And he brings a proof. Now that is the case of the brothers of Yosef. When Yosef, who they don't know is Yosef, throws them into prison and he commences a period of suffering and trauma for the brothers before it's all resolved. It's not actually when they're in prison. If you look very carefully, it's when they've come out of prison. They talk amongst themselves and they say, Aval Ashemim Anachno. Indeed, we are guilty. And we are now suffering because of what we did to our brother um, all those years ago, which is an amazing act of teshuva. And they don't blame the system. They don't make a protest against the injustice. They don't uh, say, free the Kenair 9-11. They rather say, it's our fault. And they introduce it with the word aval. Rav Soloveitchik, in uh, one of his trashes on Yom Kippur, on teshuva, says, when we say aval anachnu v'chatanu, uh, we and our fathers have sinned. It's not but we and our fathers have sinned. It's indeed we and our fathers have sinned. Incidentally, I just want to share with you, if you look at Rashi on Membet Kaf Aleph, <coughs> he says there, Aval means indeed. And then he quotes something which can be read in two very different ways. He said, Aval is Baram or Bet Reish Mem. And according to the art scroll, that means in the language of the South, which means the dialect that was spoken in the South of Eretz Israel, Aval is the same normally as Baram, um, which, well, it's the same as Baram, which is an Aramaic word, which occurs in the Gemara a lot of times. Sometimes it means but, but sometimes it means indeed. Um, I just checked and I found using the uh, uh, concordance, um, uh, the concordance on the computer, six times the, the Gemara says, Aval zachor Indeed, remember so-and-so for good. So-and-so did a good thing. Aval, indeed, remember him for good. <coughs> so, um, sorry, it's not Aval, it's Baram. Baram in the Gemara usually means but, but sometimes means indeed. The interesting thing is, according to the Silverman Chomesh, he reads it completely differently. And he says, Loshon Droma means the language of Rome, i.e. Latin. It's equivalent to Bet Reish Mem, which is the consonants of Verum, V-E-R-U-M, which in Latin means but, but sometimes means in truth. So Rashi there, not here, but Rashi there in Perak Membet, quotes either the, the Aramaic dialect of South Judea, or he quotes Latin, depending on which uh, translation of Rashi you're looking at. And then he gives another example uh, from Malachim, the story of Eliyahu, uh, uh, sorry, Elisha and Gechazi staying in the house of the Shunammite woman and uh, offering to give her something that she might need. And she says, no, no, I don't need anything. And Gechazi says, Aval ben ein la. Ben ein la means she doesn't have a child. And so Elisha goes and governs for her and she gets a child. But what does the word aval mean there? Does it mean but she doesn't have a child? No, that doesn't make sense. But rather it means indeed she doesn't have a child. So, sorry to get, take a long time on that one. Rashi's telling you that the word aval, which normally means but, 
here means indeed, because that doesn't make sense. So what's going to happen? Going back to the Pasuk. Indeed, Sarah, your wife will give birth to you a son. And you will call his name Yitzchak. And then it says, I will establish my covenant with him. As an everlasting Brit for his descendants after him. So Rashi's got a lot to say on this, although in some versions he's got less to say. We'll see. So on the words, for Karata et Shemo Yitzchak, you will call his name Yitzchak. Why will you call his name Yitzchak? Al Shem Hatzachok, because of the laughter. By the way, if you ever thought that because you, the story in Vayera is probably more familiar than the story at the end of Lech Lecha, that's because in primary school, you never get to the end of the Sedra. You will start at the beginning and the following year, you start at the beginning again and you get as far as you get. So we all remember that Sarah laughed and then the baby's called Yitzchak. But that's not why he's called Yitzchak. It's, he's called Yitzchak because Avraham laughed. And we now understand that Abraham's laughter was a good laughter. Sarah's laughter was a questioning laughter. We're not going to name the second of our patriarchs after questioning laughter, but we are going to name the second of our patriarchs after Abraham's laughter of joy. And that's why he's called Yitzchak. And then Rashi says, the Yesh Omrim, there are those who say, Al Shem Asara Nisyanot. It's because of the 10 tests that Abraham undertook. Betishim Shana Shal Sarah, the 90 years that Sarah was when she gave birth, Ushmona Yomim Shinimol, and the eight days which when Yitzchak was when he was circumcised, Umea Shana Shal Abraham, and the hundred years of Abraham. Yud, Sadi, Chet, Kuf is 10, 90, 8, and 100, hence the word Yitzchak. So why does Rashi have to bring a second explanation which is a little bit far out, this uh, gematria of each letter. So an answer given is because if it were named after the tzachok, laughter, then we would expect the word tzachok to be the name of Yitzchak. But the word Yitzchak is not exactly the same as tzachok. Yitzchak literally is he will laugh, which leads to a whole other story because Yitzchak, when he's born and when he grows up, he's not a very funny guy. He doesn't do a lot of laughing laughing. There is actually one occasion when he is associated with the verb tzachok, um, but we'll leave that for Parashat Tolda. Anyway, so someone to say, but the reason Rashi brings the second explanation is because that the word tzachok should be the name, not Yitzchak. So he has to bring the gematria of Yud, Tzadi, and Chet, and Kuf. It's also worth pointing out on this second explanation that we can understand that Tzadi, the Chet and the Kuf, because at this point, Sarah is 90, Yitzchak's about to be born and circumcised at eight days, and Abraham is Kuf, he is 100. But the Yud is slightly problematic, because Yud stands for the 10 tests, but we're not through the 10 tests. We've got a many more tests to go. Um, I forget the exact number, but the uh, trouble with um, Abimelech taking Sarah into his harem, is going to be one of them. And obviously the Akedah is going to be the big one. The Akedah, according to most ways of understanding it, is number 10. And that hasn't happened. It's not going to happen for a long time. So how can we be referring to the 10 tests at this time? And the answer is 
that the 10 tests can only happen if Yitzchak is born. Because, I don't know about all the tests, but certainly, as we know, the Akedah, and you can sort of probably match up all the others as well, revolve around Abraham and his progeny and his family. And obviously, the Akedah Yitzchak revolves around Yitzchak. So now Yitzchak has been born, there will be 10 tests. And that's why you can put the Yud, meaning 10, into the gematria of Yud Sadichet Kuf. Then Rashi goes on to say, now this bit's in brackets, which means it's not in every text. And it says, Sephora other texts say, Hakimoti et Briti ito, Lama Neemar. When it says, I will establish my covenant with him, why does that need to be said? Now, why shouldn't it be said? Because if you look at Pasuk Yud in our Perak, Hashem said to Abraham, Zod Briti Tishmuru this will be my covenant between me and you, and between your descendants after you. So we already know that it's going to apply to Abraham's descendants. So why do we need to be told it's going to apply to Yitzchak specifically? He is, after all, one of Abraham's descendants. So, in fact, the, the answer is very easy to discern from here, because I'll say again, in Pasuk Yud, it was for all Abraham's descendants. And now in Pasuk Yutet, it's for Yitzchak. What's the difference between all Abraham's descendants and Yitzchak? Says Rashi, um, So I quoted Pasuk Yud, it's also there in Pasuk Tet. My covenant you will keep, you and your descendants. So why do we need to say now my covenant I'll make with Yitzchak? Because he's already been included in the descendants. Eila because it said in Pasuk Zion, the Hakimoti, I will establish, if we go back to Pasuk Zion, I think that was also with your descendants. Sorry. Before me. Uh, we talked about this when we learned it. There's lots of references to Zarecha, Acharecha, your descendants after you. Uh, and in Pasuk Zion, it says there'll be a covenant with you and your descendants after you. So, Yochal, you might have thought, <coughs> B'nai Yishmael, U'b'nai Keturah. This applies to the descendants of Yishmael and applies to the descendants of Keturah. Bichlal Hakim, they're included in the establishment of the covenant. Talmud Lamar, V'hakimilti et briti ito. That's why the Torah says here, I will establish my covenant with him, below im acherim, and not with others. So now, this is the message of the Brit Mila, that, as I've said before, Abraham is becoming the father of the Jewish people. And his other descendants, Yishmael, and yet to be born the Bnei Keturah, they are pushed to the margins. They are no longer the focus, and they are no longer those who are going to inherit Abraham's mantle and Abraham's Brit. And that is why we are now limiting the descendants of whom we spoke before to Yitzchak alone. And that is why this Pasuk says, and needs to say, Hakimoti ebriti ito. And now Rashi um, says there's another reason we might have asked why we need to say this. And curiously, he's, he's doing something which he rarely does, and I haven't got a good explanation of why. He's actually commenting on Pasuk Kaf Aleph in the next few words, even though this comes under Pasuk Yud Tet. Because in Pasuk 
Yud Kaf Aleph. Uh, in fact, we have to read Kaf and Kaf Aleph to make sense of this. So let's just read quickly through Kaf. Or Yishmael Shamaticha, I've also listened to Yishmael. Hinei berachti oto, behold, I've blessed him, vehifreti oto, and I will make him fruitful. Vehirbeti oto, bimod ma'od, and I'll make him very many. Shnei masa nisi'im, your lid, he will give, he will bear 12 princes. Unatativ legoi gadol, and I've made him into a great nation. And then in Kav Aleph, ve'ed briti akim et Yitzchak, and I will establish my covenant with Yitzchak, asher te'led lacha Sarah who Sarah will bear for to you. So the question that Rashi is now asking, if we look at the Rashi, he says, Why does this one need to be said? In other words, if we've already said in your text, very clearly, um, why do we need to repeat it almost word for word in Kaf Aleph, where it says, The only difference is, uh, in, in Yutet, it was the pronoun him, and in Kafalop, it's the name Yitzchak. That's what Rashi is asking now. And the answer is, continues Rashi, Ela limeid shahaya kadosh mibetem. But this teaches that he was sanctified from the womb. Um, it's a phrase that we repeat when we give a bracha at a Brit, that uh, the, the baby has, uh, has been kiddush mibetem, has been sanctified from the womb. So Rashi seems to be saying this is not pshat, I suppose this is a drasha in the sense that when there is an extra pasuk, an apparently superfluous phrase, that superfluous phrase is coming to teach us something extra. Um, not that the words of that superfluous phrase precisely point to that something extra, it's just the fact that those words are superfluous, therefore they're teaching us another din. They're teaching us that Yitzchak, and by the way every subsequent Jewish baby boy, was already sanctified in the sense, was already commanded to have a Brit Mila before he was even born, from the time he was within the womb. That's the special feature of Yitzchak and doesn't apply to Abraham, obviously, because he wasn't given the mitzvah until late in life. But Yitzchak is going to be the first one who is Kadishmi Beten, who is sanctified from the womb. That is why the reference to Yitzchak and his Brit is repeated. As I say, it's not uh, something that the words actually point to that. It's just the fact that there is extra words. It's telling you an extra piece of information. But if you don't like that, then Rashi gives you an alternative. And he says, another explanation. Omar Rabbi Abar, Rabbi Abba said, Mikan ata lamed kal ben ha mi ben ha'ama. So from this, and what he means this is kaf, posuk, kaf and kaf aleph, as I'll explain clearly in a moment, I'll try to explain clearly. Um, he says from kaf and kaf aleph, you can learn a kalvachoma. Kalvachoma is a, an inference from a minor case to a major case. If it applies to the minor case, then surely it applies to the major case. If it applies to the ben ha'ama, the son of the maidservant, then surely it applies to the ben ha'gavira, the son of the mistress. Um, in other words, if it applies to Yishmael, who's the son of the maidservant, then surely it applies to Yitzchak, who's the son of the mistress. Uh, mistress meaning woman in charge, not, not the other sense of the word mistress. Um, so continuing, Ketiv, it writes in Pasuk Kaf, Hinei berachti olto, 
Behold, I blessed him, and I'll make him fruitful, I'll make him many. That's what applies to Yishmael. So how much more so can we say it will also apply to Yitzchak? And I will establish my covenant with Yitzchak. So on top of getting everything that Yishmael gets, he also gets his own Brit. So that is the alternative explanation of why we need to be told again that in Pasukav Aleph, Briti Akamit Yitzchak, says Rav, um, Rabbi Abba, it needs to be read in the light of what's been promised to Yishmael in Pasuk Kaf. So Kal Vachoma, that will be promised to Yitzchak also in Pasuk Kaf Aleph, which then means the Brit that we're talking about in Pasuk Kaf Aleph is not the Brit Mila, but the Brit of prosperity and the Brit of, uh, of fruitfulness and uh, uh, fruitfulness and multiplying. The same Brit, the same promise that was given to Yishmael will also be given to um, Yitzchak. And then Rashi, and this is a little bit confusing, and it may be that we've got um, text that, uh, maybe our text of Rashi is not quite accurate, because Rashi says in the word et briti, brit hamila now we're going back to the words in Yotet, because that's really what we're commenting on. And there it said, Hakimoti et Briti, my covenant will go to Yitzchak and to his descendants. Which covenant is this? Now the problem is that we said um, in Pasuk Bet, when Abraham was first told about this Brit, if you look at Pasuk Bet, Ve'etna Briti Beini Uveinecha, Rashi said, Ve'etna Briti, Brit shall Ahava Ubrit Ha'aretz, the Brit of love, which we take to mean blessings, and the Brit of the land. Then, later on, the Brit Mila was introduced. So Rashi has to tell us which Brit is being referred to when Abraham, when, when Hashem says the Brit will be maintained with Yitzchak and his descendants. So Rashi says it refers to the Brit Hamila. Brit Hamila to Heimasur Lazarushal Yitzchak. When Hashem says, I will establish my covenant with Yitzchak and his descendants, it's talking about the Brit Mila. Now, as I say, um, what, what I said was a bit uh, hard to reconcile all these bits of Rashi. According to Rashi's first explanation, the um, second comment, uh, sorry, the, the reference to the Brit in Pasuk Kaf Aleph was about Brit Mila. Um, when Hashrashi said the reason it's repeated from Yutet to Kaf Aleph is to tell you Shahaya Kodosh Mi that he was sanctified from the womb in the sense of already being commanded with the Brit Mila. In which case, the Brit in Yutet. Um, no, sorry, forget that. I'm going in the wrong way because I'm, I'm comparing what he's saying about Kaf Aleph with what he's saying about Kaf, about Yud Tet, sorry. And now we're back in Pasuk Yud Tet and Hash, uh, Rashi wants to tell us that Briti means Brit Mila. Okay, sorry, I was thinking the wrong thing. Okay, we're ready to move on. Sorry, that was quite a long and quite complicated. Can I ask a question? Pasuk. Yes, please. Um, it just goes back a bit. So it, throughout Pasuk Yud Zion and Yud Chet, there's two like statements of wonderment i guess that avram says and it's um the whole thing about sarah being 90 years old and him being 100 years old and the thing about ishmael 
So, and the first one is, it says, Vayomer Billy Ba. So he said it to himself. And the second one is, Vayomer Elohelo Kim. So he said it to Hashem. So um, if they're both expressions of just like wonderment and like gratitude, and we already know that Abraham didn't doubt anything that Hashem was saying. It was just like purely in um, like off the cuff kind of thing. Is what's the difference between both statements? Like, I mean, I'd, like what's so special about one being directed towards Hashem and one being private? So that's a very good question, which I hadn't noticed before, but it may be answered by Rashi on Yud Chet. Now, I made the point when we learned this a moment ago that Rashi sees Lu Yishmael Yichiyeh Lefanecha as two separate things. Number one, Lu Yishmael Yichiyeh and Yichiyeh Lefanecha. And I said, my understanding of Rashi is, on the first one, it's not asking for Yishmael to live, because Yishmael's living. Um, it's, it's an expression of, as Rashi says, I'm not worthy of receiving all this reward. It would have been enough if you just gave me Yishmael. Okay? That, therefore, is not dissimilar from his joy at the blessing he's been given, that he'll, give, he'll have a child and Sarah will have a child. But then there's the second part, and maybe this is inspired by your question. The second part is that um, Ishmael should live in fear of you. He should serve you. Now that to me is a prayer, is a request, is, a, is an exhortation. And if you're praying for something, you say it out loud. You say it to Hashem. So the first, the answer I think to your question, or the answer I'm going to suggest to your question, is in Yud Zion, he's just thanking. He's just overcome with with uh, joy and he doesn't need to say that out loud but the second part of uh, is a prayer is a request so he says that to Hashem okay. thank I'll, you I'll offer that as an answer until Thanks. we come up with a better one so now we're on to Pasuk Kaf we've already read it where it says and after all that, Shneim Asar Nisiim Yolid, twelve princes he will begat, Unatativ Legoi Gadol. And Rashi has very little to say, um, and he says on the word Shneim Asar Nisiim Kaananim Yichlu, like clouds they will finish up, they will like waft away, they won't last. Kamo. Nisiim Veruach, a pasuk from Mishle, has the word Nisiim, the same word as we have, meaning clouds. If you look at that pasuk in Mishle, Kafei Yudalad, you'll see it's talking about clouds and the wind. Nisiim Veruach. So there's two things I'd like to say that Rashi's doing. Number one, there's something that is consistent across Rashi. People like Ishmael don't really get a good press. Um, although Rashi points out Ishmael does Teshuva at the end, um, of his life. He is clearly um, not going to get the same bounty that the Jewish people get. And, and Rashi says the same about Asa, but he says the same about all the people who, who leave the fold, as it were. And this is such an example. So even when you have a bracha, which is so sort of nice to Ishmael, Rashi comes along and says, ah, it's not so good. It's not so good. Like clouds, he will, or these, these 12 princes will um, disappear. They'll finish up. 
they'll finish up. So that was a cross between off and up. They'll finish up. Um, and so it's not such a great bracha. Now, why is Rashi saying that? As usual, what is the textual problem in the Pasuk that leads Rashi to say that? And the answer suggested is the use of the word nisi'im. It is a strange word to use. Why is there going to be 12 princes? Because there's going to be 12 branches of the family. Who else had 12 branches of his family? Yaakov. And there's obviously a parallel here. But when Yaakov has 12 sons, um, you could say he has 12 sons. Or you could say, and we commonly do, what does Yaakov have? Those sons become shvatim, tribes. Uh, or you could say matot, this week cedra is a word for tribes, but usually the word shvatim. We never say that Yaakov's going to have 12 nisiim, even though the tribes did have princes. And throughout the Midbar, various places, we're told about the nisiim of the tribes, but we're not saying that that is the bracha given to Yaakov and he would have 12 nisiim. So why is the bracha given to Yishmael that he will have 12 nisiim? It's not the right word. And because it's not the right word, Rashi asks, why was this word chosen? And Rashi answers what Rashi answers. But the word nisiim means princes, but you know what? It also means clouds, which are ephemeral, which disappear very quickly. So that's the sting in the tail or the, the uh, less good bracha that is given to Yishmael because the word nisi'im is used, and it's not the word that you would have expected. It's not the word that we find in sort of parallel situations. Therefore, it needs a special explanation. And we will move on to Pasuk Kaf Bet. Ve'yachal l'daber ito, and he stopped speaking to him, ve'ya'al elokim me'al Abraham. And Hashem, literally, I'm going to translate it literally, ascended Me'al, from on Abraham. Hashem ascended from on Abraham. Rashi says, Loshon Nekia hu kalpe shechina. This is a Loshon Nekia, literally a clean expression, a nice expression, a polite expression regarding the shechina, regarding the divine presence. And then Rashi says, and there's a reason why I'm making it into a separate point, Lamadnu. And it teaches us that the tzaddikim are literally the chariot of divine presence. There's a, an idea which is referred to from time to time, and uh, in Kabbalah it gets uh, quite extended, that the tzaddikim, usually the avot, or sometimes the tzaddikim, are the chariot of Hashem. Now, without getting into a Kabbalistic explanation, which I don't understand, the simple idea is that Sadiqim are the bearers of the divine presence in this world. If you want to see the divine presence in this world, look at Sadiqim, and you can see that they are bringing the divine presence into the world, and therefore they are the chariot on which the Shekhinah travels. Um, so, so Rashi says that's something we learn from this example. Now, why does Rashi say, Ma'al Elohim Me'al Abraham? So um, I want to share what the Be'er Yitzchak said, that um, if you compare, uh, well, he said quite a few things, actually, he's got a very, very long thing to say on this, but if you look at Bereshit Peruk Aleph, Pasuk, here we go, Zion, and you've got it in your Bereshit, so if you turn to Peruk Aleph, Pasuk Zion, Vayas Elokim Hashem made the sky, Vayavdel Ben Amayim Hashem Itachat 
and he separated between the water which was under the sky, and from the water which was on top of the sky. So is a way of saying on top of the sky. So if you wanted to say on top of Abraham, what would you say? Me'al, next word, la Avraham. To be consistent, it would be me'al la Avraham. But what do we have in this Pasuk? Me'al Avraham. So says the Be'er Yitzchak, explaining this Rashi, it doesn't mean on top of Avraham. Because if it did, it would be written differently. So it doesn't mean on top of Abraham. So therefore, why does it say, Vaya'al, Hashem ascended? And why does it say, Me'al? That's the Lashonakia. In other words, it wasn't literally that Hashem was on top of Abraham, which of course would be problematic for uh, be a personification of Hashem, who's got no physical presence, not no physical place. But even putting aside that, um, if it had meant that Hashem was on top of Abraham, the Lashon, the wording would have been different. And therefore, it doesn't mean that Hashem was on top of Abraham. But why does it say, therefore, Vayal, Hashem went up? And does it say, Me'al, from on Abraham, even if it doesn't mean from on top of Abraham? That, says Rashi, is a Lashon So obviously, if you're talking about Shekhinah, you're saying it's going to be above us. It's not going to be below us. It's not going to be the same level of us. It's going to be above us. That's the polite, respectful way of talking about the Shekhinah. And that's what Rashi means when he says it's a Lashon now, what is interesting to note, and I've got the words of the Be'er Yitzchak, which is a commentary on Rashi, to go by, I haven't checked myself, but says the Be'er Yitzchak, in every case in the Tanakh, when Hashem stops speaking to a Navi, it doesn't say that Hashem stopped speaking to the Navi. It doesn't say it, it just stops the speaking. So why does it say here that Hashem left Abraham and went up from Abraham? which we know is a Lashon Akir, doesn't even mean it literally, because we've already established that, says Rashi, according to this explanation, that's why the whole Pasuk is here. To teach you, to teach you that the Sadiqim are the chariot of Hashem. So the whole metaphor, and it is a metaphor, of Vaya'al Me'al Abraham, um, which we don't find in any other place, is to teach us that uh, there is a sense, a metaphorical sense, in which Hashem is above the Sadiqim and the Sadiqim are below, namely that the Sadiqim are the bearers of Hashem's presence in the world. Okay, let's move on. I'm just looking at the clock. Yeah, oh, we're doing okay. Um, I wasn't, we might finish the parasha, probably not quite. Okay, let's go on to Pasuk Kaf Gimel. Vayikach Avraham. Sorry, there's a, this is now sort of the epilogue of the story. Hashem has given Abraham the instructions about Brit Milah, and Hashem's gone, Hashem's finished the discussion. Now what happens between now and the end of the parasha is Abraham puts into action what he's just been told to do. Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those who were born in his household, and all those who were bought with money. You might remember that in Pasuk uh, Yud Bet, and again in Yud Gimel, we had Yalid Bayet Umiknat Kaspo, because they're two different categories, but they both are part of Abraham's household, and all the members of his household also need this Brit Milah. 
So the Edkomin Lankas, well, Abraham, all the males in the house of Abraham, the Yamal et Basar Alatam, and he circumcised the flesh of their orla, their foreskin, the Etsem Hayom Hazer. We'll leave that to Rashi to explain. Ka'asher Diber Oto Elohim, as Hashem had said to him. What does Be'etzem Hayom mean? Says Rashi, Bo Bayom Shenitztava, on that very day that he was commanded. He didn't wait, he did it immediately. And then Rashi says, also, Bayom below Belayla. It was done by day and not by night. That seems to be another meaning of Etzem Hayom Hazer. And we know the Brit Mila cannot be done at night, it must be done at day. It's interesting. Uh, no, I'll read a little bit further. Lo nit yare, lo min hagoyim, lo min haletsanim. He wasn't afraid, not from the non-Jews and not from the scoffers. And that his enemies, and by the way, there's another here, sir, that says not Oyavav, but Ohavav, his friend. <coughs> which is sort of the opposite meaning, enemies or friends, but in both cases, he's not worried that his enemies, possibly friends, on the people of that generation, Omrim would say, Ilu re'inuhu lo hinachnuhu. If we had seen him do the Brit Milah, we wouldn't have let him do it, Lamol, to circumcise, Ulakaye mitzvah toshel makom, and to fulfill the mitzvah of his creator. So Etzem Hayom has got three meanings, actually. Rashi doesn't introduce them as separate meanings, but they are distinct. Number one, it means uh, on the day that he got the mitzvah. He didn't wait. Number two, it means by day and not by night. Um, you might have thought a mitzvah can be done at night. Um, if you do it as quickly as possible, but you need to, the, the sun's already set, do you carry on doing it? No, in the case of Brit Mila, you don't. And then we have this thing, which we might remember parallels elsewhere, that he did it in the middle of the day, in broad daylight, in front of everyone, not in any secret way, because he wasn't afraid of non-Jews or late sanim, two different categories, or his enemy stroke friends of that generation would say to him, if we'd only seen it, we wouldn't have let you do it. He's saying, look, I'm doing it, and you're not going to stop me. That's all contained in Etzem Hayom Hazet. There's a lot to say there. There's a lot to unpack. Um, first of all, why would he be afraid of other people? What's the big deal? Why is there an issue that other people would object to him doing Brit Mila and, and stop him doing it? So there's a little clue in the last few words of Rashi, but it's not good enough. The, the last few words of Rashi are, they would have stopped him fulfilling the mitzvah of his... Um, of Hashem, because they don't want him to do mitzvot, because they, they see mitzvot as a threat. Uh, he's got these mitzvot, they haven't, they don't want him to do it. But to be honest, that doesn't really work, because there's other mitzvot, presumably that Abraham has done in the previous hundred years, that nobody's objected to. We're not told about them, but we can assume that Abraham's done mitzvot. Now, you might remember something else happened, Be'etzem Hayom Hazer, that we have learned in this year, and that is Noach going into the Teva. That also happened Be'etzem Hayom Hazer on that very day. And Rashi there said, 
that the um, it was so that the others around the time should not say, had we known that Noah was going into the table, we'd have stopped him, we'd have fought him off. Noah went into the table in the broad daylight, so they had every opportunity to stop him, but well, they couldn't because Hashem didn't let it happen. But they didn't have the excuse to say, oh, we didn't know him doing it because he did it in the middle of the night. No, no, he did it in the middle of the day. So perhaps there's a parallel between Noah there and Abraham here. And in both cases, there's a distinction between the hero of the story and the rest of the world. Noah is going into the Teva. He's going to close the door behind him. He's going to be saved from the flood. The rest of the world isn't. He's saying, you guys, you are all a rotten lot. You are all violent uh, thieves. I'm going to be saved in the Teva. And it's that distinction that other people might not like. They might not say, they might say, no, we're not going to let you separate yourself off from us. Miller is a mark of distinction in the literal sense. It distinguishes those who've had Mila from those who haven't had Mila. Now, we know that Mila is not uniquely Jewish. Uh, maybe it was at that time, I'm not sure. But as a mitzvah, Abraham is being told to change the nature of his very body and as because he and he alone and, and, and his family have been given this mitzvah and it's going to make him distinct from the rest of the world. You can also add, it's going to set up a division, particularly between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And there's an implication, but the, the uncircumcised are somehow blemished in the way that Abraham now won't be. So that distinction and that implied insult is perhaps what they are going to object to uh, and yet Abraham wants to give them the opportunity to say, look, I'm doing it in broad daylight, object if you wish, and yet they didn't. They were forced into silence, into inaction. In terms of Rashi and his consistency, I just want to mention the following. In uh, Devarim, Perak, uh, I had it a moment ago. Yeah, Perak Lamad Bet Pasuk Memchet. Devarim, Perak Lamad Bet Pasuk Memchet. Hashem says, that uh, Hashem writes in the Torah, that Moshe died on that very day. And Rashi there says, three things happened. And in each case, it was to say, you might object, you've got an opportunity to object, and yet you don't. One was Noah going into the Teva, one was Yetzirah Mitzrayim, and one was the death of Moshe. With uh, Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the Egyptians no, come and, come and stop the Jewish people leaving. They didn't, even though the Jewish people left in the middle of the day. Uh, and in the case of Moshe dying, Hashem was, as it were, saying to the Jewish people, you're going to try and stop Moshe dying. He's going to do it. And look, you didn't stop. It's interesting that Rashi says there are these three places in the Torah, and yet there are others, including our Pasuk here, which Rashi doesn't list doesn't list there as one of the places which says that's even though we saw in Rashi a very similar analysis. It was very similar where people were saying, had we not know, you know, don't say again, had we had the excuse that we didn't know it was happening, we couldn't stop it. But in fact, they did know it was happening and we still didn't stop it. So why doesn't Rashi in Perak Lamad Bet of Devarim say also our case being another example and the Divrei Dovid, that's the Taz, uh, known as the Taz on the Shulchan Aruch, but he also wrote the Divrei David on Rashi, says it's because there are other reasons for saying Etzel in this case. And he refers back to the first thing Rashi said here, 
was it's on the day that Hashem commanded him. And the second thing that Rashi said is it's by day and not by night. In other words, you don't, you're not forced into the Midrashic explanation of Etzemayomazer to show, but the scoffers and then the uh, people might object, they had a chance to object. You can, you can explain the words Etzemayomazer as referring to day and not by night, or as referring to a day on which he was commanded. And therefore it's not quite in the same category as the other three examples of Etzem Hayom Hazer. Okay, I think that is a good place to stop. In Yetz Hashem, we will finish the last little phrase of Rashi on Pasuk Kaf Gimel, which really goes with Pasuk Kaf Dalad, as we will see in Yetz Hashem next week. We will finish Pashas Lechacha, and we will start Pashas Bayera, I hope, and I hope you'll join me there this time next week. Um, but before we finish, are there any questions? Gary, is that a question? No, no, no oh. question. Okay. All right. I will say thank you all very much. Uh, particularly nice to see Miriam all the way from Israel. Um, I can't see Ruth, but uh, nice for you to join us. And thank you all very much. Thank you. Very thank much. you, Rabbi. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Thank you so much.